episode 33 of the IntelliCast podcast brought to you by EMI. My name is Adam Jolly. Joining me as always is Brian Lamar. Hey, Adam. How's you, how you doing? Loving it. 33. Larry Bird. Larry Legend. Oh, that's right. The hick from French Lick. And you were, I feel like you've been gone forever. You were in Boston recently. And yes. other places recently as well. Um, and I actually walked past, uh, there's a spot right outside Quincy Market where they have a pair of bronze Larry Bird shoes. Um, like Converse, old Converse. I think they're like a size like 18 or 19. They're gigantic. Yeah. And so here we are, episode 33. <laughs> uh, EMI's IntelliCast is brought to you by EMI Research Solutions. You can find us on Twitter, EMI underscore research. You can reach out to us via email. Uh, feeling old school, go ahead. IntelliCast at EMI-RS.com. My own personal Twitter is Adam Jolly. Brian, any Twitter? No. What if you created a Twitter, um, kind of stepping on the interview, but like you created a Twitter and then just had Peterson from marketing just tweet all the stuff from it? That's something. That's possible. We know that now. It's smart. It does seem smart. My Twitter would be more similar to yours, I think. I'll be be pushing the boundaries a little more, I think, and I would be banned. I don't think I have cussed on Twitter, but I've come close. Right now, I'm I'm yeah. to the point now where I can't find if I can't find words for something, it's just all gifts. Yeah. I would say probably eight of my last ten. That's tweets probably have been good gifts. because knowing your sports fandom, yeah, you're in for you're going to get emotional soon in one way or the other with yeah. Red Sox and Notre Dame because you have high hopes for both. Yes, sports being what it is. There's likely going to be a crushing, something crushing happening, right? Yes. So I would go top five things in life for me. Yeah. Number one, family. I'm going to lump them all together because I don't want to start ranking my kids. <laughs> but I will if they push me. <laughs> Number two, um, EMI probably. Yeah. I mean, that's where I'm at right now. I think maybe like when I get older, EMI will probably shift down my priority list, but it's yeah. pretty high. And then number three. Notre Dame football, number four, Boston Red Sox, number five, Cleveland Browns football. And right now, the three of them are really just punching me in the face right now with expectations. And it's driving me nuts. And it's, I was, I was so down on Saturday. I had on the big screen, I had Notre Dame. And then I brought out like a 36 inch TV and had it set up like an ottoman that I had the Red Sox game on. You tweeted that out, right? And it was so, yeah, Yeah. it was so much. It was too much for me. Um, Too much emotions. Um, especially this time of the year, like yeah. the Christmas season, who needs more emotions? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Lower Halloween, right? Like scared emotions, thankful emotions. Hey, let's add really unhealthy food to it, to the mix. Oh, I'm just eating my feelings all day long. <laughs> and so, but now the Red Sox have moved on. We're in the ALCS. Notre Dame seems to be a lock to make the playoff, <laughs> which is going to be great for me to make that decision later on this year. And the Browns have hope because we're not losing every game. Yeah. Like I come in here on Monday morning, <laughs> right? You're prancing a little lit. Bit. <laughs> I mean, it feels great to be me on Monday morning. It's pretty nice. Anything going on in the research world? Not well, really. Not really. It's conference season. Nobody's doing anything. Yeah, a lot of conferences. CRC this week. TMRE next week. Um, that's that's what it's taking up a lot of time. Yeah, I'm with you. I feel like there's more and more noise going on about. Um, just different consortiums and unions. I'll say that. That's good. It's not mergers, acquisitions. Yeah, a lot of um, friends and frenemies. A lot of words that we hadn't really used a lot in market research until this year. Yeah. Like consortium. Who? 
It's just silly. Yeah. So, and we're talking, if anybody's wondering what the hell we're talking about, uh, we're talking about blockchain, uh, just a lot more noise over, over the last few weeks. Um, a cool, very cool thing. Um, I saw Isaac posted on LinkedIn that, uh, the OAB, um, is live now. They're starting to put through the 2020 research panel. They're starting to get just people on and using OAB, which is a huge step for blockchain. Yeah. They need to be in trailblazers on that. And, uh, it's awesome. And then you've got whatever's going on with the, um, MR chain, green book chain and everybody in that whole group. Um, it's just, it's an exciting time. Yeah. Um, as far as see what shakes out yeah. from all this. Um, I think it could be, yeah, I don't want to go too far into it because I think that, this could be something that everybody picks a side on. It's, an, um, it's another podcast. Yeah, it's another podcast. You know what? Give me. Let's write it down. Write down March eighth podcast. I'm gonna go fully uncensored on my thoughts of how this whole blockchain has worked out. I think I'll be ready. I think it'll be clear there. We'll see what. Yeah, I think we could be a lot more liberal with our words then. Should we have guests? Probably. Let's bring them all together. <laughs> yeah. You know. It'd be, let's bring, let's get everybody in the same Book room it. together. Yeah, I'm sure everything would be cool then right. too. Um, but I'm, it's just, uh, it's just a lot of noise. And then also, you know, um, I know there's the thing going on with Case now too, doing all the definitions of what a different yep. you know, sample suppliers or data suppliers are as well. Yep, I, I would call that a consortium. Yeah, it's definitely a consortium, and there's some big players and names on that. I'm fortunate to be on it. EMI's on it, so I'm part of a committee around the definitions and. You know, I feel like we got to take up for aggregators a little bit, right? Yeah. So if this is going to be the official definition, we hopefully will spin this a little bit in a positive light. Well, maybe there's a bullet at the end that says, and then there's the case where all of these are in one place. Yeah. Right. Right? Right. I mean. Yeah. And it's okay. Yeah. And and by the way, it's everyone. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Anyway. But yeah. I digress. There's actually a lot going on in the industry. Now. Yeah, I'm trying not to be controversial. We'll yeah. just keep going. Um, our guest this week is Katie Gross from Scent. We've known Katie for a long time. She's yeah, great. She's great. Katie is, she's in sales, but she also, she's a lot of a thought leader as well. And, you know, she's really involved with Wire. She's really involved. She does a lot of mentorship. Um, I've actually recommended, I don't think anybody's taken me up on the offer. But I've actually recommended uh, people here that are looking for mentors reach out to Katie. Yeah. She's just an awesome person. Like, if you get yeah. the chance, if you see her at a conference, like, grab – don't grab her. Ask Katie to go <laughs> grab some coffee and, and talk to her. She's just – she's great. And she's like a real person in our industry. She um, is awesome. She was here in Cincinnati not too long ago, and she brought me a gift from Britain, which I'm super excited about. You know she's good at sales when she brings a thoughtful gift. And yeah. I'll, that'll, it probably cost her 20 pounds. It's a t-shirt of the queen. She knows uh, I'm obsessed with the royal family and I have a lot of jokes, which I probably shouldn't mention on this podcast. Sure. But, um, she was in Britain a couple weeks visiting her family and she bought a, you know, a nice little t-shirt for me from Britain. And I'll probably tell that story 40 times and our dozens, if not hundreds, six, seven hundred listeners, um, will hear that story now as well. So she got her money's worth, but that's really thoughtful of her. She, it's she's a nice thoughtful. person. So without any further ado, let's jump in. I, is she across the pond? She's, I think she's in the States. New Jersey. She's across the pond. All right. Going international with this one. That's Katie from Scent. Joining us now is Katie Gross from Scent. Katie, how are you? I'm very well. Thanks, Adam. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So, so what is your official title at Scent? My official title is Senior Vice President of Sales here at Scent. 
Oh, this is so great to have another salesperson on the call. <laughs> you just want to make fun of Brian <laughs> exactly. the whole time or try to manipulate him? Let's do it. Yep. <laughs> so, so talk to me. Like one of the ways we always start out when we have a guest on is to hear about their origin stories. Like, how did you get into market research? Because a lot of times it's very non-traditional. So, so how did you get into market research? So, I my origin story um, is that I studied psychology with criminal justice at the University of Plymouth over there in England. And I graduated in the year 2001, which was a really nice year to graduate because it was very much pre-recession. And I actually took some time out and did some charity work over in Kenya for a couple of months because the job market was so great back then. But when I came back, I realized I had pretty much no marketable skills other than SPSS, which (laughs) I'd used very heavily in my psychology degree. So I had studied research methods 101, 102. I actually really enjoyed it. Um, I did really enjoy the kind of survey design element, um, putting together sample breakdowns and so on. So with that said, my only skill set was market research and I joined a CPG company in the UK um, that primarily worked in private label um, products from Italy to the UK grocery stores. And in that role, I was using data from TNS World Panel, IRI, Mintel. I had to maintain a gap analysis database, um, helping to support the sales team to sell more products into the grocery stores and really understand our competitive landscape. Wow. So so from there, so, so you leave, and then how did you get involved with sample sales? Yeah, so from there, I joined um, Mintel originally as a researcher. So I was on the, the research team at Mintel. And so that was my first kind of foray into understanding what um, sample companies were all about. I remember originally kind of meeting YouGov, and it must have been around about 2005 they came to present to Mintel. And um, it's the first time I'd really heard about online sample because traditionally most of um, Mintel's work was either telephone or face-to-face based. Um, that's kind of fascinating and it was also the first time I moved into a sales role as well so it kind of was a natural fit to move into sales while at Mintel I had used the data bought the data written the data and it was an easy transition into selling Um, but I ended up in sample sales uh, kind of due to the recession so the recession hit and all my CPG clients were buying each other and I just could see it was going to be a difficult time in the syndicated market research world. And so I looked at which part of the industry was rapidly growing and that was going to maybe survive the the next couple of years. And the online sample world kind of came back into my realm. So I was very lucky to meet a number of people at Toluna. And that's where I first kind of came into the sample sales world in 2008 um, in Toluna when they were still a very small French company. I was the fifth salesperson they had. Wow. Jeez. And so how long have you been at Scent now? So at Scent, I joined a year ago. Um, just coming up for a year now. I Obviously, you can tell from the accent, I'm British, um, but I did move to the USA about seven years ago. So I was with Toluna um, in the USA, took some time out, spent some time in qualitative research um, at a company called Stylus Media Group, which was a refreshing break. It was quite nice not to have to answer emails at night times and weekends. Um, yeah. But I missed it. I really missed the kind of fast pace of 
the sample and market research technology world. Um, and I could see that Synth was doing some amazing things, really kind of driving the industry forward. I was super excited when I got the call um, from, from Jake and um, went from there, really. Yeah, you know, for me, I've been in EMI 12 years. And I remember Synth from, from the beginning when I first started was – was we always thought of an at like a um, like a technology type company just the dashboard and really um, similar to what EMI was doing as far as like trying to find new sources but I noticed in the last call it two or three years like the presence of scent has grown just leaps and bounds and it's not just internally with how many sources you have and the advancements to technology but then just awareness like um you know, forever yeah. it was the big three and Forest Naples suppliers, but since there now. So, so how have things changed? Like, is it a mindset th- type thing? Like, like what is kind of the, the atmosphere and environment at SIT now? Yeah. Um, it's interesting you say that because I would agree with you. In the UK, when I was um, working in the UK, SIT is a very large presence, it was very well known, um, particularly for its technology and obviously its Nordic um uh, right. presence. So it was one of the very top players in the, the UK. Um, you're right, coming to the US seven years ago, Synth was a much smaller presence, but we have come on leaps and bounds in the past couple of years. So we now already have a, a great market presence. I think really what's driven it is that we've continued to see the adoption of our platform and the technology by more and more marketers and researchers globally. And that's really because we help drive efficiencies within all elements of their sample supply chain and assisting them to get their insights much faster, smarter, et cetera. Right. So, so what's the, what's the, the, uh, like, like what's sorry. the evolution? The evolution, so I think, you know, we, we focused very heavily on um, originally on integrating our sample supply chain efficiencies through a lot of uh, platform providers, SurveyMonkey, Oscar target, target Market, Servata, and so on. And then we, in the past couple of years, have really focused on um, market research agencies themselves and helping them to deliver their results and time to insights much quicker and, and really building efficiency in that uh, sample supply chain. Wow. Yeah, that, that it's huge. And I guess that's a, that's a pivot, I think, from when in the past when it was just you just think what right's in front of your face, right? The sample side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's definitely evolved a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Katie, I know uh, Brian and I see you at a lot of conferences, and and really you've kind you've become a kind of a thought leader. And I think a lot of times, like I get flack from being a salesperson that tries to share opinion, and, and you don't shy away from that at all either. And so, um, I wonder, like, how do you further your education? Like, how are you learning more, whether it's about business or research in general or sample? Like, are you reading books? Um, tell me a little bit about your process there. Yeah. So it's a really good question. Um, I'm a huge podcast listener. So, of course, I start with all the market research specific ones, yours very much included, but also the happy market researcher, data gurus, audible insights, and so on. Um, But from there, I really try and kind of hone my craft in reading a lot of books that are kind of related to just research and human behavior in general. So I read a lot of Malcolm Gladwell books. Um, I read a lot of Ben Goldacre books, such as Bad Science, which I highly recommend. It's all about how statistics are being misused. And then I also right. try and kind of hone my craft um, by understanding 
who our clients are and whether it's the market research agency or their end client and what's driving their needs. So particularly at events, I go to almost every booth I can and ask to see a demo. So I was just at CRC, um, just got back last night and I went to see a lot of companies and just asked, what is it that you do? Show me your product. Show me what, you know, what business challenge it is that you're solving. And I am inquisitive and quite curious in that way. Yeah. Um, so that's really helped me develop a, a much wider picture of the market research um, and industry as a whole. Yeah, no, that's huge. And uh, I think I'm kind of the same way. I've been starting to read like more like blogs and like LinkedIn and like opinion pieces on people too um, mm-hmm. to learn more. But I'm with you. I, I, I read a ton of Gladwell and, and sometimes it's hard. And, and like you said, with like the, the story of statistics and things like that, it's like hard to connect those type of stories to what we're doing in research. But um, they help a lot. They just help me think of like a different side of things. Brian? Well, the, really the only question I have for Katie surrounds the British monarchy, but I'll avoid that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about that later if you want. But um, I get to do a research rant. You're a listener, so you know this. I'm curious if you have a rant that you want to do, either a research-related rant, a personal rant. I know you just went to a conference, so I bet you would have a lot of rants just from conferences alone. Do you, do you want to do a rant? <laughs> I can do, yep. I'm normally a very positive person, so I try not to focus on negativity. Um, but something that came up at CRC that really got me thinking um, is really about the respondent experience. Um, and I could rant about that for a long time, for sure. But I think it's really, it's not just about survey length, grid questions, the kind of, you know, the dull part of that. I think it's more about reminding ourselves that the respondent is a human being. And often we're not giving them enough indications as to why we've invited them to take part in this research, why it's so valuable. We started using the phrases, you know, our, our respondents' data. And I think we've gotten away from using the kind of softer touch words such as what we're looking for is their feedback. We're looking for their opinion. And I think we should be giving them a lot of kind of signals along the way. We should be reminding ourselves really of some of the the market research um um, kind of best practice that I was taught while um, whilst I was at university, really around giving them a brief, so letting them know what this research is going to be about, guiding them through that research, and letting them giving them a debrief at the end to say thank you. There were some really good examples that came out of um, came out of CRC. So as we all know, the average survey length now is around about twenty four minutes. The average conversion rate is around about ten percent. So we know it's already tough. Um, but really what we should be doing is thanking them along the way. So maybe at that 10 minute mark, just having a page that just says, thank you for getting this far. You've given some fantastic feedback. We're really excited to see your answers to the next couple of questions. See you on the other side, something like that. Um, another example came from a um, financial services company where their CEO had recorded a thank you that was played at the very end of the survey that just said, thank you so much. Our clients' feed, our consumers' feedback is very important to us. Last year, you helped us create four new products and three new services into the marketplace. And we're excited to see your feedback today and where that's going to take us for the next year. Um, and so I think it's it's kind of really important because obviously I've tested hundreds of thousands of survey links in my time. And it's usually just straight in, straight to the demographic questions, straight into the grid questions, straight into the open ends. And then thanks ever so much. You qualify. You'll get your incentive soon. Goodbye. I just think we just should just treat them with a little bit more care. 
I, I completely agree. And you, first of all, you said it much more eloquently than I would have said it. Uh, it's not just the accent either, but we, we just have mistreated respondents for so long. That's an awesome rant. Um, I think, I mean, you've tested, obviously you mentioned you tested a lot of survey links in your career. I have as well. I think everybody that's involved in the survey process should have to test that survey. Anybody that works on sampling should be testing surveys because it's just getting worse, especially when we're, we're kind of doing a lot of routing. We're still doing a lot of routing from format to survey and we're asking the same questions over and it doesn't make any sense. And you mentioned we're not thanking them along the way or even telling them what's expected of them. Those are huge ramifications. We've seen that with response rates. Uh, I'm just kind of building onto your rant. What do you, what do you think, Adam? I'm with you. I think a lot of the times it's because we view survey link testing to see like, are we getting the redirect on the technology side? Yeah, and not that's our test. at testing, like, does it make sense? Am I, you know, does respondent comprehend what our dropout type rates, things like that? And like, same thing with soft launches, right? It's like, we do a soft launch, like, hey, looks like our redirects are working. We're getting everything technology together, but we don't look at a lot of time, unless there's like a huge thing where like, well, we thought this to be 50% and we're at 5% or, oh, our dropout is crazy or, or something like that. Or are we really getting the people that we want to in order to reach our research objective? Like those are things I think they'll go as like assumptions going into it mm-hmm. when it is kind of the onus, unless you really don't care and you're just like take one project and you never work with somebody again. <laughs> yeah. But like the onus is on the sample supplier to think about something like that and like to, to really help build the relationship. And so that, you know, you can help your client get bigger and ultimately like you could be successful along with them. Right. Yep. And if maybe Katie, you can address this. You, you sort of own a bunch of panels of, of scent. Um, <laughs> um, I don't feel like sample companies push back as much as they could in terms of survey quality and length and the, the abuse that we put them through. Do you, do you get a lot of feedback from your panels on the, in that regard? Um, we do obviously our, Partners um, that come into the platform are incredibly important to us. So we want to ensure um, that they have a fantastic experience in running their panels through our platform um, and that also then their respondents have a good experience. Um, It's a very fine line. Um, First and foremost, we're a technology player. So we are certainly not there to guide market research agencies in survey design. But what I have done a few times along the way is suggest that maybe they put up a front page that lets somebody know that maybe there's a video element to the survey coming up and they'll need to put their speaker on or just giving them some pointers along the way. Um, And ultimately, that helps the client and it it helps our suppliers also. Very good. Good rant. Yeah, that's good. Let's shift into the fun things. Let's go into the four P's. So the first P, Katie, is playlist. So what are the last three songs that you have listened to? So it was just funny. So I was at the, uh, the airport last night when I was putting this together. The first one is a crazy one. It is Get Down Tonight by Casey and the Sunshine Man. <laughs> and the reason been... I was listening to that tune okay. is because I listened to your uh, podcast uh, with Bonnie from Disco, and you were talking about disco music. And that's why on that particular day, so it was, what, I guess a week ago, I played that song on my playlist. Um, I love the opening. The opening little skit is fantastic. That's great. I was going to say, I thought maybe you like, you moonlight as like a, a wedding DJ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What other, any, any other songs? Sorry, go ahead. Um, any other songs you've been listening to or any type of, what are you like, your favorite artist, anything like that? Yeah. I was just 
to um, Could You Be Loved by Bob Marley in the cab last night. So when I got back, he was playing a lot of Bob Marley, and I absolutely love the song Could You Be Loved. Um, Kind of wedding DJ song again. It was my brother's opening song when when he got married last year. And the third one is Childish Gambino, This Is America. Um, And I love everything by Childish Gambino. When he was on SNL a couple months ago, he did an amazing... um, Amazing performance, and I've loved all of his records. You know what? I'm going to hold off on my childish Gambino love as well. But I do. I love the guy. Like, I, I listen to everything that he's – I mean, you look at his three albums are so different from each other. Um, he's a genius. I'm with you. Let's yeah. let's quick pause. Katie, do you have any print stories? <laughs> print stories? No, I don't have any stories necessarily, but – I've listened to you guys talk a lot, and clearly the best song is When Doves Cry, because it was in every 80s movie that was wonderful. So if any of you think that When Doves Cry is not his best tune, I think you're very misguided. So that's my Prince rant. I'm I'm with you. I take When Doves Cry for Purple Rain any day of the week. Purple Mm -hmm. Rain's too long, man. Get over yourself, Prince. Look, we just played this the other day. When Prince is singing Purple Rain at the Super Bowl halftime show, and it starts raining... That is an act of God, and that is by far the greatest print story of all time. That's not bad. <laughs> Katie, the next B is pride. What's your biggest source of pride? So I, um, my biggest source of pride is really I, I care a lot about the human race, and that's kind of why I care about respondents in surveys. Um, I l- really try and understand individual people's motivations, um, and it's really important to me as a manager um, that – my team feels supported, they feel mentored, um, and that we take care of them, right? So I'm really lucky that since um, we're allowed to be the um, kind of really allowed to take care of our our team. So I'm allowed to just kind of give them pedicures, manicures, massages, tickets to the football if they're doing an amazing job. Um, so it gives me a lot of pride to see my it. team grow. A lot of my old team, even from the UK, sometimes will still text me their sales numbers if they're doing well that month. Um, always bring your smile to my face. Um, That's good. When old team members invite me to their weddings, it kind of gives me a huge sense of pride. Um, and like I'm a member now. of Women in Research, and I'm one of the mentors. And I actually bumped into my mentee this week um, at CRC, and I'd helped her get prepared to job hunting after her PhD. I helped her with the interview process. I helped her negotiate a great salary, um, and it was great to see her representing her company this week. So. I get huge pride from kind of taking care of people and understanding human motivations and really developing developing people that, that I work with, alongside. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's my pride. I love it. So the next P is perform. So, Katie, what is something that people don't know about you? What is, like, kind of your hidden talent? So when I was young, um, I was – kind of much more on the artistic side of um, of the world. So I was a musician and actor. <laughs> really? I played quite a few musical instruments. I was in the school orchestra playing the violin. I was in the school rock band playing the keyboard. Um, and I was actually also in two TV documentaries um, about human rights, where I was very lucky to, to go to um, the Philippines, Germany, and the UN building in Switzerland as kind of a one of those kind of junior presenters in two different um, documentaries, which was 
awesome fun and I will never show them to you because I was 17 <laughs> and they're very embarrassing. Oh, we're going to find them. Sure. <laughs> um, so the last one is people. And this is usually do our Mount Rushmore. Um, we're going to talk about vacations. So Katie, what are your top four vacation spots? Okay. So being a European where I used to get a lot of PTO, I've had a lot of amazing vacations. So I've been very lucky. Um, and I like throwing myself into kind of crazy places, crazy countries. Um, so top four, number one would be Borneo. I went about seven years ago, took a, I was still in Europe, so I took a two week vacation to Borneo, Jeez. climbed a mountain, <laughs> took two days. I went caving, I saw orangutans, I saw um, all sorts of kind of wildlife, um, snorkeling, etc. So Borneo is very underrated. It's just there in Malaysia, if anyone doesn't know where it is. Highly, highly recommend. Next up would be Cambodia. I went to Cambodia at Christmas, spent Christmas Day in Cambodia this year. Um, again, I just end up, I just seem to have like just booked long flights and hotels and just get ready, <laughs> just get myself ready for it. So I went to Cambodia. Um, I love looking at all the kind of the ancient cultures. I went to Siem Reap um, to see Angkor Wat and watched the sunrise over Angkor Wat, which was incredible and um, learned a lot about a very, very different culture. Same again, Rwanda I went to probably about four or five years ago now. Um, again, totally different cultural experience. Um, kind of threw myself into it, rented a car, drove across the country, went to see um, the chimpanzees and, and kind of really learn about um, that country's history and watch it develop and watch it change um, over over kind of the time since the genocide in 1994 up until today. And it's, it's a country that's doing fantastic things and, and really growing. Um, and I'd be, you know, it'd be a great miss for me to say that England isn't my one number one, uh, also vacation spot. Um, I'm from Plymouth originally, which is in the Southwest coastline. People always talk about London when they think of England, but England right. is beautiful. The countryside in the middle of the country is amazing. The coastline is phenomenal. It's very much like Big Sur. Um, the beaches are fantastic and, uh, yeah, there's no, no place like home. Jeez, those are great vacations. You can you compete yeah. with that, Brian? I, I, normally, this is when I say that your list is garbage and give out different, but I, it's hard to do in this one, <laughs> so, <laughs> especially considering her the rationale for her trips, very altruistic. Um, but I will give you. I'm going to give you my top four cities in Europe. How about that? That I've been to. I in my thirties traveled a lot to Europe. So here's my top four. Number one, Paris. You're probably mad at me already for picking Paris. No, I love Paris. I oh. love Paris. I'm a rare. British person that absolutely adores Paris and think it's, it's sort of wonderful to do. Good. We're not we're not fighting then because I love mm -hmm. Paris. I think the people are nice. There's so much to do. I love the boulevards. I love the food. I love the people. So much to do. It's amazing. Number two, I'm going to put London. Um, it's an obvious choice. We don't have to go into that. Number three, I'm going to pick Budapest. I didn't think I would like Budapest, but it was amazing, and I wish I could go back sometime. Um, a lot to do. People are nice there as well. Um, it's just to, for me, at least as an American, that was very Eastern European to me, even though it may not even be considered Eastern European, but it was amazing. And the number four is Vienna, kind of for the same reason. That was so much bigger than I expected it to be, and so much, so much to do there. So those are my top four Europe vacations. Adam Jolly, thoughts? I have no thoughts. Some people that work in sales don't have time to take <laughs> vacations because they're too busy servicing their clients. Oh, God. 
I got nothing. Completely, got, just completely agree. I, uh, <laughs> I I'm lucky that I was it, in Europe, I so I used to be able to take PTO, and since we're in the US, Well, thank you so much, Katie, for coming on. Um, is there any way, anything you want to plug? Any conferences you're coming, you're going to that you want to plug? Yeah, next week we're going to be at PMRE. Um, so Mike Mizell is speaking with a client of ours about how we've helped them gain efficiencies in their sample supply chain. Um, and you can find me also at Sint underscore Katie on Twitter. I yeah. personally don't tweet, so I'm there, right there with you, Brian. I'm not a tweeter, um, but we're very lucky to have a great marketing department that automates our tweets. And so at Sint underscore Katie, you'll find all of the Sint news. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks so much, Katie, for coming on, and uh, we'll see you on the road here soon. Thanks, Thank Katie. you so much, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Katie, for coming on the pause. As always, you can reach her however you can reach Sint. She left her Twitter name there. It was at Sint underscore Katie, yes. I believe. Um, she's also very open on connecting on LinkedIn. Um, Brian, that's the end of the podcast. I think I feel kind of bad that we really didn't get a print story. Yeah, you think she'd be better prepared for a print story. Her whole life is ruled by royalty. Why wouldn't she have prints? I've heard rumors that they play the entire podcast every episode in the synth office. So it's really not her fault. It's her co-worker's fault that she wasn't adequately prepared for our latest segment. Well, that's kind of our thing. Like As much as like <laughs> Synth is a huge vendor and partner with us and, and we love him to death. However, we can get them all in the room together, listening to a podcast and not working and servicing their clients. <laughs> it's the ultimate double agent. Movie, yes. Man. Yes. Gotcha. Megan, Jake, this is on you. You should have given yeah. her a print story. Yeah. <laughs> we win. That does it for episode 33 of IntelliCast. As always, you can reach out to IntelliCast at IntelliCast at EMI-underscore.com. EMI on Twitter, EMI underscore research, my own personal Twitter, Adam Jolly, and we will see you guys next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.